3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. one Back in action after the holiday weekend. So glad you're here. Congressman Kevin Brady, a few weeks left of his job as a powerful member, ranking member of the House of Means Committee. And also, keep in mind, too, he's also was the chairman of Ways and Means. He knows what it takes to get our budget in order and also knows values and ethics, something this administration seems to be lacking. Coming up shortly, Kaylin Carr. Eight-year member of the MLS, uh, appeared in 117 matches for two different teams, uh, also knows the American game so much. I think there's over 30, uh, m- maybe more MLS players in this World Cup. And the U.S. has everything at stake on Tuesday against Ukraine- Iran. They got to win the game after tying England a couple of days ago. So let's get to the victory
2: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three sponsored by crunch fitness interested in owning your own business in a growing 30 billion dollar industry check out crunch fitness at crunch.com number
4: three we're going to allow uh you know chevron to do drilling in venezuela when this is the same administration, Will, that won't allow us to do drilling here in the United States. Not in Texas, not in Oklahoma. It makes absolutely no sense.
3: It doesn't. Unacceptable. The U.S. breaks sanctions and allows Chevron to start producing oil for that evil regime of Nicolas Maduro and communist Venezuela while stopping pipelines drilling and exploring in America.
1: Number two. U.S. soccer telling us today it changed Iran's flag on its social media accounts to show, quote, support for the women in Iran. Iran state media reporting on Sunday that the United States should be kicked out of the tournament.
3: Wow. Bigger than the game. Love that U.S. Soccer Federation takes a stand with the Iranian flag to support women's rights as Iran's players send a message themselves to their monstrous government but America must put all that aside and win Tuesday, or their World Cup journey ends.
1: Number one. I was at the protest in Beijing last night. It went until 2.30 in the morning. People were holding up the pieces of paper as a protest against censorship. They were singing the national anthem.
3: Yes, that's a NBC reporter. China trouble, and this time they can't blame us or Taiwan. It's the crackdown. It's the crackdown lockdown of the virus. They thrust on the world. Finally, the people have had enough. But let's begin and talk about world soccer. Let's bring in, uh, if we can, Kalen Carr. Kalen, welcome. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was 9.06. My bad. Um, So we have 10 minutes for Kalen to get ready. So premature. So what happens going on in China and why I'm so optimistic is because it's happening in so many places. They decided to lock down almost every major city at some point, and now they're doing about six at the same time. Now, when they turn around, President Xi takes over. There was a sense uh, after coming out of that congressional meeting that he gets another, looks like a lifetime, uh, lifetime placement, that they were going to they were going to ease up, but they're not. And this zero COVID policy is, did something that they weren't expecting. It caused death and destruction. I don't know why, because they weld people into their houses. They take away their children. They put them into uh, homes until the people in the house test negative or if the kids test positive. They take them out. So China actually had a situation where there was a fire in the 15th floor of an apartment building and these people burned alive about 10 to 15, 10 deaths. So they said, "That's enough." The people started protesting They could not get out, and the firefight- firefighters could not get in because of the fenced in of the COVID pol- the fenced-in mechanisms they use on the COVID policy. So there was protests immediately. Then they started in Shanghai. Then they started in Beijing. Then they started a prestigious university. What they're doing now is not wrecking things. What they're doing is holding up white sheets of paper. It just shows that they want free speech. It is absolutely insane what's happening. There's a BBC reporter. His name was Ed Lawrence. He was arrested by the police during the protest. In a statement, the BBC said later during his arrest, he was beaten and kicked by the police. You know what they said? Oh, we arrested him because we saw him in a big crowd. We didn't want him to get COVID. I mean, this is nuts. to expect that, that to be okay. The anger's been pent up for a while, according to a MIT uh, professor who's got contacts over there. Uh, his, his name is Yan Xing Wang. I guess he's of Chinese descent. He goes, I think the 20th Congress provided an expectation that things would wind down. He said, referring to the party's leadership and the reshuffle in October. When that did not happen, the frustration quickly boiled over, along with the death and destruction that took place. Now, immediately they start stopping all the press. Then they start, uh, start squelching Twitter, but Twitter bounced back. Maybe Elon Musk deserves credit for this. I'm not sure. For hours, for you search Twitter to find out what's going on with the protest, you could not get anything, just a bunch of Chinese names. Now, I was just on. You can get it. Whether they're getting it in China, I don't know. But the world is seeing that place is in utter turmoil from day one. Here's Mike Gallagher about what is happening and what's significant about this. And what's so disappointing is not a word from this president or anybody who works for him. Cut one.
5: I don't think the control of the Chinese Communist Party is starting to crack. Xi purged any dissenters at the 20th Party Congress, but they will continue to crack down on their citizens, and who knows where that leads. I mean, think where we are. Three years after a virus that likely leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China, they're still welding Chinese people into their apartments. We've had apartment buildings burned down with people locked inside. We have toddlers being taken from their parents and put into quarantine camps. They're using the pretense of public health in order to institute a system of total techno-totalitarian control, and that's not just for domestic use. That's a model of repression they want to export around the world.
3: Yeah, that's a model uh, that they they want to uh, – they said their command economy is what the future is. What they did is took away the free market principles that helped fuel their transformation since Mao left, right? So they're trying to get rid of that. So now 18- to 26-year-olds are losing that free market potential. The Jack Maz of the world that started Alibaba, and all of a sudden those pro- so successful – Companies become nationalized, and it just takes the incentive away from people. And they just go, oh, you know, you, you're going to take away my profit? am not going to do it. Not going to do it. Yeah, I'll serve in the army. I'll do what I have to do. But I'm not going to be motivated enough to innovate, to become rich and successful, and to hire more people, and to become a world, a global entity. That's what people are missing. It's not so much the American way is empowering people to fulfill their de- their destination and their goals and 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 dreams. And with China is, you're born to lose your dreams and donate it to the country. It never works. It never will work. Here's Gordon Chang, cut four. It's
6: possible
7: that Xi Jinping does weather the storm, at least at first. But I think the problem for the Communist Party is that we have seen just mass discontent. And, and people are, are linking this to Xi Jinping's rule itself. It's, it's not just uh, protests against some local official because he's corrupt. This is against Xi Jinping and the Communist Party. And I think that what we're going to see eventually, let's say within a couple of years, is that the party will fail, largely because the Chinese people don't want it there anymore.
3: I hope so. But they have the guns. Gordon Chang wrote the uh, the upcoming collapse of China. That hasn't happened yet. He does have a great connections there. Let's hope he's right. But they st- they just steamrolled Hong Kong. There was no price to pay for that. Still arresting people to this day, arresting millionaires and and free marketers and people that uh, people that are pro free market. They were writing for a free press. All that is gone. A lot of the investment uh, class has moved over to Singapore. But I just thought, too, this is a country that poisoned the world and never admitted to it. And I was just astounded to see Anthony Fauci give his farewell interviews yesterday. And while saying in one breath, I'm not political, he comes out and blames us and Trump for what happened in China and the current policies. Cut 26. What
8: happens is that if you look at the anti-China approach that clearly the Trump administration had right from the very beginning, And the accusatory nature, the Chinese are going to flinch back and say, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to talk (laughs) to you about it, which is not
3: correct. They withheld PPP. They never told us what was hitting us. They told us this would be no problem here at home. They didn't tell us it was person-to-person transfer of the virus. They didn't tell it was airborne. And you're mad at Trump for vilifying China? Who else do you want to vilify? Japan? Unbelievable. This is this guy in one breath. I, I'll take all questions. I'll testify. You'll subpoena me. I will show up. But then you get his true colors when and no follow-up. Unbelievable. When we come back, Kalen Carr joined us. I prematurely interviewed introduced him moments ago, so you don't have to do it again. But I am fascinated about what's taking place at the World Cup, the 1-1 tie with uh, Germany and Spain yesterday, the upset by Morocco the day before, and then the other upsets that have already taken place with Saudi Arabia, Uh, with the big one against Argentina. But Argentina survives on Messi's goal. Uh, So the world is talking about soccer for a brief moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss a word of it because it matters so much. Less than 24 hours, just about 24 hours from now, we'll see the U.S. take the field with it all at stake. Don't miss a minute. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's. This is how it sounded. Ninety-second minute of the U.S. U.K. game. Harry Kane, the most prolific scorer on the English squad for generations, had the ball.
11: He's all the way at the back. He's going to
5: try and run curve his run. Shaw in header wide. Harry Kane. Well, I'm sure a few stomachs dropped. Seeing that one. 51 goals for his country. You'd be disappointed not to hit
3: the frame on that one. And he wasn't. He got the head ball, but it was uh, way wide. Uh, Kalen Carr joins us now. Uh, MLS star, star, eight years in the league, fire at Houston uh, Dynamo, sees all the MLS players there, and sees a chance for the first time to watch the U.S. play in the World Cup in eight years. Kalen, welcome.
0: Hey, great to be here, Brian.
3: Caitlin, for people at home who don't understand, that was a pretty significant win, uh, excuse me, tie, 0-0, especially if you watch the game. They were not in a defensive shell. They actually played the English straight up, don't you think?
11: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I think the sort of, uh, you know, mentioned that it felt like a win because it kind of did feel like a win in a way. I mean, coming into this match, England came into it flying. 6-2 win against Iran in the first match. Um, you know, went to the semifinals of the last World Cup, which, as you mentioned, we didn't even make it to. And then the year before, you know, even in the Euros, went to the finals. So I think their conversation coming into this was how many goals they were going to beat the U.S. by. <laughs> and so for the U.S. to keep a clean sheet, you no know, goals allowed, and then also really be threatening at times. Christian plistic hit the, the crossbar. Weston McKinney had a great look. Uh, I think the team gave a really good account of themselves on the day. And, yeah, that, that last minute there from Kane gave me, Definitely, uh, my heart skipped a beat. (laughs) I was very nervous there because England is very dangerous on set pieces. But overall, I thought the point was fair, and and the U.S. played much better, actually, through large stretches of the match.
3: Right, and I just think millions of people are watching, too. It's the middle of the day, and they're still doing it. They're going to see the game tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I hope, anyway, against Iran, a team that lost to the British 6-2. Had them scoreless, I think, to the 30th minute, then it all fell apart for them. Here's Kieran Trippier, the English right back. Talk about the quality of the game and the opponent. Cut fourteen.
12: We knew it was going to be a tough game, um, but we just had to try and create as many chances and, and try to win the game, which we did. Unfortunately, we didn't. But like I said before, a point is a is a good result for for us. And now we're just recovering and focus on Wales.
3: So they're going to focus. They're going to beat Wales most likely, who lost to Iran, but that's because they got a guy thrown out. Talk about the subplots, Kaelin, of taking on Iran who has a country, it's a full of riots. They killed a 22-year-old woman she because of the way she was uh, not wearing her hijab or whatever they call it, uh, and 300-plus uh, have been killed, thousands have been arrested, and the team does not sing the national anthem in protest of their country's government. And now we, the U.S. Soccer Federation, took the emblem off their flag in posting the standings and they they are calling for our ban from World Cup play. So there's a lot of subplots here. As a player, you know this, don't you?
11: Yeah, I mean it's very. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on, of course, off the field. Um, but the captain Tyler Adams, uh, who came up through MLS, I, I know him quite well. Played here in New York for the Red Bulls, became a star in MLS. Now starring at Leeds, doing fantastic over there. He was tremendous against England. They interviewed him today about this, and his quote I thought was spot on. He he said, we support Iran's people and Iran's team, but we're laser focused on this match. Um, And they need to be. This is a must win game for the US. You win and you advance. Anything else, not good enough, you're going home. And for all the excitement around this team and the young players that we've seen emerge, like Tyler Adams, it really comes down to this last match. And they'll have to sort of tune out everything else going around them, off the pitch, and sort of create this little insular environment, protect themselves in the locker room and really focus on the task at hand. And they have a tough one because I think this Iran team is is very strong defensively. Kiro sets them up in a defensive block. They only need a draw to advance. So they're not gonna be really expansive and open up a lot of spots. I think it'll look a little bit more like the Wales game um, where the US will dominate possession and really look for a moment to break down. The question is, where does the goals come from? And I think, you know, Tim Weah had a really nice finish in the first match. Do we use him as the number nine position? Does he stay out wide? Do you bring in a Brendan Aronson, another top player that I know well from, from his MLS days at Philadelphia Union? So finding that right piece will be important for Burhalter to, to see if we can, you know, break down a defensive team and, and be able to get through to the next round.
3: I, I was uh, sidelined for the Metro Stars before they were the Red Bulls. And I interviewed Carlos Koresh a bunch of times, obviously, in those games. And he was considered a tactical genius then. Now he's the head coach of Iran. And he feels as though he could come up with something to stop the U.S. from succeeding, or at least he thinks he does, spend years in Manchester United. So uh, when they go to play, how much easier is it when you're only playing for a tie?
11: I think for this Iran team, they'll feel very comfortable doing that. Uh, It's it's a way that they are able to set up and play. The, The England game... I think was out of character for them. They, they did not give a good account of themselves in England, to their credit, were, we're ruthless on the day. Uh, but I think this other match against Wales was much more like we'll see, that they'll be more defensively sound and then look to hit on the counterattack. Um, they have a top striker as well, too, with two goals in, in the uh, in the tournament so far already. So they they have found that sort of cutting edge if they need it through Tarem who plays at Porto. Um, but I, I think they'll be a little bit more comfortable that way. But I think the U.S., is actually going to be in a good position as well. We like to have the ball. We have skillful players. The midfield has looked really good with Weston McKinney, Musa, and Adams. I'd expect to see that starting uh, group involved again. And and then it just comes down to, can you find that moment of quality? Can you find that moment of magic and, and put the ball in the back of the net?
3: Hey, Kalen, does it, uh, Kalen Carr, our guest, an uh, uh, eight-year member of the MLS, giving us an insight on what the U.S. could do on Tuesday. But in the big picture, This game, these games, were stolen from the U.S. They should have went to us. There's a whole documentary about how it doesn't belong there. The crackdown, the no drinking, the no, uh, the what it took to build these stadiums. Does that seem? Does that bother uh, anybody now? Like when you guys were talking about this game and this tournament and going halfway around the world to do it?
11: Well, it's dominated a lot of the conversation, Um, but from a U.S. perspective. We're going to get the next World Cup. So we only have to wait four more years. The World Cup is coming here to the United States and North America. It'll be shared, of course, with Canada and Mexico. So we're going to get our turn to host. And I think that's the part that I'm most excited about is when you look at the growth of soccer in this country, you look at this young, exciting U.S. men's national team, but even you look domestically – I love that you gave a shout out to the Metro Stars the old and <laughs> the old days uh coming through and just you know you look at the stadiums coming across major league soccer the growth of the league that that is super exciting to and, think and that And Kaylin, you, World Cup you heard I'm here. sure you,
3: we only have 30 seconds left. you heard the rumor that Messi's coming to to Miami right
11: Oh I did not miss that I'm getting texts from people nonstop who don't even really watch soccer right now being like how can I get tickets to watch Messi I'm like wait hold on it hasn't happened yet but if it did, that would be tremendous.
3: Right. the The second bit That would make the second biggest day, the day David Beckham came over at 32 years old over to Los Angeles. Uh, that got everyone's attention. But Messi and Ronaldo uh, possibly coming to the same team. That's what's been rumored. Uh, Kalen Card, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right. And we'll see. Uh, everyone watch. 2 o'clock. The U.S. pulls out a win. They advance. And then anything could happen in the knockout round. Kevin Brady coming up next. you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here.
2: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Always love having Kevin Brady on, ranking member of House Ways and Means Committee. Talks dollars and cents as well as anyone who is also part of the uh, the Trump tax cut, uh, that the biggest ones we've gotten. Uh, tax reform, I should say. Uh, and we'll, of course, we'll take calls right after that. Uh, Congressman, welcome back.
7: Brian, how, how did you have a good Thanksgiving?
3: All good. What about you, knowing that you're going to be changing career shortly?
7: Yeah, no, we hung tight in Texas and it was really nice. And we've got uh, you know, I'm on the job till January third, so we've still got some things left to do.
3: For example, to stop what? What do you expect to come your direction in the lame duck session?
7: Well, I, I think it, it looks to me like it's going to be less and less productive every day I look at it just because it's such a mess up there. I think Democrats are going to try to jam through some bad uh, policies. Uh, I think we've got a very good, very good chance of stopping uh, them as long as we hang together, I think, as Republicans, both in the House, House and the Senate.
3: I guess we, we could uh, see what will happen because they, they can't really do anything else on reconciliation. So we know, too, yeah, that the, they did make some news over the weekend. They decided to tell Chevron, go back and drill. It'll cost them $50 billion to start rebuilding the infrastructure. But they're allowed to go back to Venezuela and drill and produce and fix their pipelines to me, I'm disgusted by this. It's an evil communist regime that uh, spends most of their time just taking human rights away from their own people and making life miserable for everyone except their, their regime. That we recognize uh, the, uh, we recognize Guaido, Juan Guaido's regime. We asked everybody else to. Talk about this move.
7: Yeah, this was, uh, you know, this was a Thanksgiving sneak uh, by the administration. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they've been pledging for months and months. They were not going to, remember, Ryan, they were not going to ease sanctions on Venezuela. They were not reaching out to them to produce more oil uh, in their desperation. Uh, But in truth, uh, they never stopped uh, talking to Venezuela about this. And you're right, while it's going to, I'm not sure it's going to produce a lot in the short run, certainly easing sanctions for what are essentially empty promises to have discussions with the opposition. It's typical Biden Diplomacy, which is, you know, our, our enemies uh, get everything. Uh, we get uh, little to nothing. Uh, and we, you know, again, we, we embolden, you know, our, our enemies around the world while, while discouraging our allies. So in right here, right in Texas, look, we've got the solution here on American-made energy and lowering gas prices for the long term. But uh, this president just, uh, it, it's his religion on Green New Deal that won't allow them to let America produce.
3: I want you to hear what the president of Western Energy Alliance said, Kathleen uh, Gama. She said this morning about what this means because they're frustrated that they can't drill on, uh, on federal land. Cut 20.
13: Texas has a heck of a lot more democracy than Venezuela. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think it's a, an excuse. Uh, trying to find um, justification for doing something that doesn't really make sense. Uh, we also had right before the Thanksgiving holiday. Speaking of bearing informa- bad information on you know a holiday weekend, that put in place seven new policies to make it more difficult for us to produce in North Dakota, Wyoming, and New Mexico on federal lands. So they're putting in place more process, more red tape, more obstacles here. On the American producer, and then they're suddenly determining that Venezuela's a beacon of democracy doesn't make sense,
2: yeah,
3: I mean it's frustrating if you're in that business, and most of the people around you in Texas are in that business,
7: yeah, we are and and what's frustrating is that you know the president's war on American made energy hasn't let up as as uh, as she just uh, outlined in fact, you know when he was asked, are you going to do anything differently in this this next two years? And he said nothing. You know, in truth, he was really targeting that. I think uh, at at the American uh, energy uh, industry, and we've got the capabilities. But the administration's, you know, stepping on the air hose for financing. They're finding any excuse. It's sort of a uh, all of government effort to to stop American made energy, and it's it is terribly frustrating.
3: I guess uh, that's where we stand. Uh, so we'll see where where it goes from here. So Chevron, I was disappointed, Chevron. And maybe I'm naive. I would, just, If I was Chevron, you know what? I'm not going to rebuild their infrastructure. They are almost $4 billion right now. Well, make sure I get that back first. They nationalized the oil fields last time. All those oil companies were out of money. Those, A lot of them were arrested temporarily uh, by Julio Chavez. So uh, to me, I'm like, why didn't they just take a stand?
7: Yeah, well, these are risky. Obviously, these are huge investments, long-term Um Uh, made decades ago in many cases, and the government shifts out from under them, and it is a tough situation for them. I did note uh, that they're supposed to get the $4 billion back that they're owed uh, from the government. We'll see if that happens uh, at all, but I I know it's frustrating for these companies to go where the oil and gas is, make those major investments, and then you see this socialism, you see these types of dictatorships take over. It's tough.
3: So we have the zero-COVID policy that they're dealing with in China. We don't have that here. We don't even like the policy we have here. And it's it's resulted in massive uprisings, some arrests, but for the most part, China has not seen anything like this since 1989. In the short term, it's going to really affect the supply chain. You also saw the the riots and strikes basically at Foxon, which is the – that's the group that builds all the Apple products – so people want to point to Apple and, uh, excuse me, China and act like they are on the rise. but They have huge hurdles. How are we going to feel that here at home temporarily?
7: Yeah. So one, we need to be more doing more investment in the U.S., which is why when President Biden ran through, gosh, $300 billion or more in higher taxes, the bulk of it on made in America manufacturing, which makes no sense in the world. At a time, we need more investment in supply chains. We need more investment investment here in America, he's actually taxing these companies for building in the U.S. It makes absolutely no sense uh, at all. But I will, one point you made I, I, I wish others would pick up on, which is, yeah, China is huge and they do think long term and it's uh, it's so authoritarian. But remember, they wake up every morning afraid democracy will break out anywhere uh, in the land. That's why they're so fierce. That's why they, they crack down on them so hard because they can't have, they can't have an, even an ounce of democracy coming from the people in that, in that giant country. So yeah, they may be stable in some other areas, may have a lot of power, but they fear the one thing we have, which is democracy.
3: So how do you explain, I know it looks like you have a five to seven seat majority in the house. How do you explain there was no red wave? You know, you could take a step back and almost be an analyst now, being that you're only there a couple more months, Kevin. What do you think?
7: Yeah, I think there's a combination of things. Because if you look, you know, we had great nights in in states like New York. You know, in Florida, we had a good night in Texas, um, California and in the West Coast, areas we haven't won big before so we obviously did some right things there, Then we had big disappointing nights in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and other states we really thought we'd do well. So I think it is a combination of—in uh, the House, I'll tell you what, the quality of our candidates, I, I couldn't have been more proud of. Secondly, I think we were on message. There could have been uh, turnout issues, whether they're abortion-related or others, maybe. But I do know, know this. In a lot of those seats where they were solid Biden seats, but we believe they were winnable— we were outspent, our candidates, seven to one in those races. I don't think anyone's paid attention to the fact that you can just get a tsunami of, of political advertising against you and take that. It, it can change it two or three points easily that way. So I don't have the full answer on that, Brian, But but we better figure out what it is and fix it.
3: What what about Georgia and the runoff? People talk about not fully understanding what it means. Yes, Democrats will have the majority with the vice president. But if they could, Herschel could win, all the committees are 50-50 and the chairmanship for rotates are shared. And that makes a big difference.
7: It is a huge difference. And uh, it's all turnout out again, Brian, in Georgia. It's all who shows up. And if we if we as Republicans in those rural areas, if we get serious and turn out, we'll, we'll win that runoff. There's no question about it. It's just, but that's that's all it is. It is depress the other side. That's what Democrats try to do. Uh, we've got to just not be disheartened by the the election. We just got to show up and vote in Georgia.
3: Yeah. Well, let's talk about too, about President Trump and his influence. I know you guys worked well together when he was in office. Here's what Governor Asa Hutchinson said. Uh, I guess he's been a critic of late about 2024. Cut 32.
4: It is to me predictable that. Uh, and what we need, as as you see uh, the party moving away from Donald Trump, as you see uh, us understanding the cost of the last midterm election, that we can't have candidates that win a primary but lose November. You can't have a candidate that can't attract suburban uh, voters uh, and independents. And so everyone has recognized that. I, so I applaud uh, the vice president, uh, Pence, of uh, 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 the others that you mentioned, Chris Christie, that's been very outspoken. We need more of those voices, not fewer. And I expect those voices to increase. What do you think? You know, I think there's change going on. I think, one, President Trump's
7: going to be very strong in the primary in, in, in many states. There's so no question about it. But I know state Republican uh, Party of Texas did surveys here right after the election, and it showed DeSantis leading in Texas. By 11 points uh, over the president um, and and the, the head of the party attributed that to the attractiveness of the sort of that optimism, optimistic conservatism of DeSantis and how that will attract more, because at the end of the day, who will win that White House in 2024 is going to drive Republican support, I think, in the primary.
3: I know they have a special counselor. I know that New York is so political with this attorney general trying to get famous by uh, suing his company. But when you talk about the president doing self-inflicted wounds, why would he have dinner with Nick Fuentes, who I didn't know about until I read about him, and, and Kanye West? What, and this guy, is a, he's a avowed white supremacist who doesn't seem to be, uh, doesn't believe the, the Holocaust happened. Why would you have dinner yeah, with I somebody like that?
7: Yeah, Brian, I don't know. I don't know. It, that, that, that's really discouraging because so many people know about this guy uh, in, in, in both of them, and frankly, at this point. And so, well, you've got to you got to vet the, who you're inviting and who you're sitting down with, especially if you want to be president again. The other thing I know sort of Thanksgiving sort of uh, Supreme Court made a huge mistake on the Trump tax returns. In effect, they turned on its head the law that protects private citizens from being targeted uh, uh, with their tax returns by Congress. And this isn't about President Trump uh, turning his tax returns over, that's that's voluntary. This is about the court basically gave the majority party in either chamber of Congress almost unlimited power to target and make public the tax returns of political enemies, whether they're political figures, private citizens, justices, Supreme Court themselves, um, I think they've opened a dangerous new political background where no citizen really can be safe from Congress.
3: And no one's ever going to run again. I'm telling you right now, anyone with any complicated business, whether it's Jamie Dimon tomorrow or some other businessman the next day, Mark Cuban, why would you ever run? Now all of a sudden yeah, he's you, targeted. His businesses are hurt. His reputation's damaged by fifty percent of the country. Number one. Number two is now his tax returns are open to the Democratic House. Why? There's no reason yeah. to, for them to get his taxes. Absolutely zero reason.
7: There, there was. It was a flimsy, flimsy excuse that had no uh, legitimate uh, legislative purpose. But here's the key: they, they won't just uh, target people in office. They'll target people they don't like. Whether it's you. Uh, Supreme Court justices, they don't like contributors, they don't like locally or, or nationally, um, business, labor leaders, either party uh, can do this. And and that's my argument here is that th- this is it's dangerous uh, for any party in Congress to have this power. The Supreme Court made a huge mistake uh, here because now Congress right. can use the IRS as a political weapon almost almost without limits.
3: So lastly, Congressman, I, I think to me. You have to give uh, the, the you have to give the speakership to Kevin McCarthy. What is going on? What is he going to have to give up to Matt Gates, Andy Biggs, Congressman Good, two others in order to get this get that job?
7: Kevin McCarthy deserves to be the speaker. Uh, he's held us together as in the minority. He made big gains in two elections in a, in a row. Uh, no one's done more. So uh, I believe he he is the best person to be speaker. It is going to be tough. I know he's in those conversations right now. I think there's some changes to our rules we can make that make sense. Uh, Others they're proposing don't actually, I think, become less Democratic that way. So I think right now you've got the Speaker listening or the Speaker-elect listening uh, very carefully to them to figure out, you know, what are the changes that can be made to benefit the whole conference. Um, uh, as, As Republicans, the bottom line is, We've got to hold together here. You know, the only way we move a, a conservative, pro-family, pro-worker, pro-economy uh, gin forward is that we hang together.
3: Go get him. Congressman Kevin Brady, I'll talk to you soon.
7: Thanks, Brian. Take care.
3: You got it. one 408 7669 You have a lot to say. I know. You've been off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You better be ready to go now. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
3: I like to bet you a thousand pounds goes to a charity Mm. that the U.S. ties or wins against the U.K. Would you take that bet?
10: No, but what I will do is raise you to five thousand dollars. Right. $5,000 says you do not get anything out of that game and England beats you.
3: I will absolutely do it. And guess what? The U.S. and England played to a zero zero tie, which better than that, I believe, is $5,000 goes to two great charities. And and Pierce Morgan has already made it happen. Two thousand five hundred to Folds of Honor, two thousand five hundred to Tunnel to Tower. So he's already made that done about an hour after the game. Kind of cool to see the U.S. play the U.K. and they invented the game, and we came on late. Have uh, tied them one other time, I think, in 2010. But besides that, we lose every time. And this time, the U.K. went to the final, went to the semifinals last time, went to lost in the finals of the European Championships, ties with us, the second youngest team in the entire World Cup. So I think, by the way, Fox's ratings have been through the roof. I think they got 15 million to watch that in the afternoon on a Friday. Pretty amazing. So now I expect they get $20 million against Tehran for them to advance. I hope, hope indeed that happens. But I also want you to hear after the game, Tyler Adams, who's the captain of the team, and even though Christian Pulisic, uh, uh, Pulisic has the most publicity, so to speak, the most heat around him, they didn't want him to be captain. And it turns out maybe he's, he's not that popular, but Adams is. Adams decided to play overseen. Uh, overseas, and he's making a difference over there in England. Here's what he said, cut 16.
14: It's it's not easy uh, at all. You have to be fully committed uh, defensively to know where they are at all times, be tuned in to, to all the details, stay focused, um, and the guys did that really well tonight. You can even see when guys you know give 100%, maybe you get tired in the 60th minute, and then we, we make changes, and the guys that came on the game gave us that extra energy boost that we needed to continue to, to play um, a high press and close down the spaces, so we did well.
3: So they did well, and at the end of the game, they had a chance at a free kick to put in the box. For some reason, they passed it wide. I don't get that. But let's see if they can put it all behind them, and people talk about, well, they beat Iran, they tied England and tie Wales, as opposed to tie Iran or lose to Iran. No one's going to remember the English game. So I think it'll matter. Uh, Now there's rumors that Messi's going to come over to to Miami, and there's rumors that Cristiano Ronaldo will go to Miami because he's officially cut, I believe, from... Uh, he's officially cut from Manchester United, even though I they think they paid a ton of money to get him over, but now they might be changing owners. So I don't know what the real deal is over there, but uh, that's what's going on in the world of soccer. We'll be talking about soccer after this. Just another week. That's all. Uh, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out how to get the President and Freedom Fighter personalized on paperback for your holiday season. Also, to see me in Jacksonville this weekend. WOKB listeners, I want you to meet me at Tom Bush bmw december 3rd
2: from the fox news radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
3: Hi, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. We brought to you live, uh, back in action. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to our special Thanksgiving Day shows. Uh, This is going to be an exciting week because uh, this Friday, our last live show of the year, it's going to be... December 2nd in the Jersey Performing Arts Center. It's going to be America Great from the start with special appearances by among none other than Pete Hegseth, Carly Shimkus, as well as Rachel Campow Stuffy. It's going to be the great patriotic motivational night. So hopefully everybody in the area listen on the stream, listen to local affiliates like 77WABC will be down to see us in person. Uh, it'll also be on uh, Fox Nation, like you're watching us now, uh, streaming on Fox Nation. Uh, and keep in mind too, the president freedom fighter is now out. Uh, continues to be on the bestseller list, thanks to you guys. So let's get to the big three before we get to Michael uh, Michael Goodwin.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three,
4: we're going to allow. Uh you know, Chevron to do drilling in Venezuela when we're, <laughs> this is the same administration will that won't allow us to do drilling here in the United States, not in Texas, not in Oklahoma. It makes absolutely no sense.
3: Right. Stephen Moore, economist, unacceptable. The U.S. breaks sanctions and allows Chevron to start producing oil for the evil regime of Nicolas Maduro and communist Venezuela while stopping pipelines drilling and exploring in America.
1: Number two, U.S. soccer telling us today it changed Iran's flag on its social media accounts to show, quote, support for the women in Iran. Iran state media reporting on Sunday that the United States should be kicked out of the tournament. Right.
3: Uh, Not going to happen. Bigger than the game. Love that the U.S. Soccer Federation took a stand against the Iranian flag in support of Iranian women. And Iranian players send a message back to their monstrous regime themselves. They'll probably pay a big price. But first thing first, the U.S. has to put that all behind them and beat Iran and advance to the knockout round of the World Cup. We'll discuss
1: number one i was at the protest in beijing last night it went until 2 30 in the morning people were holding up the pieces of paper as a protest against censorship they were singing the national anthem
3: i love it yes china trouble this time they can't blame us they can't blame taiwan it's the crackdown lockdown of the virus they thrust on the world finally the people have had enough i'm talking about the chinese people So uh, let's welcome in Michael Goodwin. Michael, I'm sure you've been reading and keeping up with this. Pretty amazing, the courage, because for a fourth straight day, a record number of COVID infections has a wave going through uh, China. So they do their zero lockdown, but this time people are upset. And the thing that triggered it was they sealed one of these these areas off because of COVID infections, and these women, these 10 people died and were burned to death when firefighters couldn't get to them. And that was it. Residents in Shanghai began to protest. Now they're protesting in Beijing. Now they're protesting at college campuses across the country. This is a big deal.
6: Good morning, Brian. It is a very big deal. And, you know, one, one of the things I think that is driving it is, as you mentioned, the covid lockdowns. The the people who, when they do a lockdown in some cases, apparently, what the government police do in China is is bolt the door closed from the outside so that these people were trapped yeah. in their apartments during this fire. And, you know, it, it is rather remarkable when, when you understand that the reason China does these lockdowns is that it has never been able to produce a reliable vaccine. Um, it, it, Apparently refuses to buy them on the open market from European or American producers. Has not been able to produce one of its own. I mean, that's quite a striking finding when you when you think about the the virus originating in China um, and and that they have not yet found a way to stop it. I mean, that's really an extraordinary uh, revelation about the the this idea that China is some kind of Superman. Uh, that is going to rule the world well first you better get your own house in order and I think too we should look at look at the uh, Chinese uh, insurrection that's going on there now and the demonstrations in light of what's happening in Iran also same phenomenon where people are just fed up with an overweening government this one sparked by uh, a woman wearing a headscarf uh, not wearing a headscarf in public which is required under Islamic law uh, she was apparently tortured and killed and this demonstration has been large it has been now grown into where it's all about freedom it's all about liberty i mean both of these countries now these two totalitarian regimes are being challenged by their own citizens. As you said, it's not about America, but America is the beacon still. We are still, despite all our problems, we do have that liberty oh, yeah. that the rest of the world uh, is willing to die for.
3: Absolutely. We'd love for the President Biden to speak out in support of those people speaking up. Same as Venezuela. I'd love for him to do it in Iran. You shouldn't be doing dealings with Venezuela. It just goes the opposite of Trump. That's all they want to do. So you look at the zero COVID policy. You see the fact that they thrust it on the world, never took responsibility for it. And Anthony Fauci, after giving these amiable interviews with uh, NBC, as well as CBS, stumbles into my main problem with him. He tells us he's not political. And then he says this, cut 26. What happens is
8: that if you look at the anti-China approach, That clearly the Trump administration had right from the very beginning and the accusatory nature, the Chinese are going to flinch back and say, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to talk Mm -hmm. to you about it, which is not correct.
3: So it's our fault. It was Trump's fault. They, They lied about the covid virus. They told us it was not transmittable. They said it wouldn't be a problem here. He said it wouldn't be a problem here. They lied to him. He claims they told us about the origins. They still haven't told us. But it was Trump's anti-China bias. He just signed round one of the trade agreement. He had no interest in blowing up the relationship.
6: Fauci uh, cannot leave the stage soon enough, Brian. Uh, He long ago forfeited any trust, any confidence in his word. I mean, he's on both sides of every issue. Uh, You know, he's one of those guys who never belonged in the spotlight. Because it's too hot for him. And you can see he's just wilted. He, he, you know, that, I mean, forever that phrase will live, I am science. So uh, it's like saying, I am God, (laughs) that whatever I say is true, because it's based on science. But the whole nature of science is that it's changeable, is that we are always searching for new answers, for more confirmation. Um, I mean, he has given science a bad name. Just think how now, now how many people don't trust the government's medical establishment is it him? because of what Fauci has done. I mean, it's, he, he's really, if he really believes in science, he ought to zip his lips and go away and hide.
3: Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I want you to uh, go to your column. Your column is about Hunter and Joe Biden and what's going on. Yesterday, the Washington Post fact-checked what they've been saying, what Congressman Comer, soon to be Chairman Comer, has been saying about uh, the Hunter Biden situation. Do you expect an indictment soon on Hunter? And do you think that will stop the investigation into Joe?
6: Well, look, I think the Justice Department under Merrick Garland, whom I regard as a partisan hack, uh, we'll f- try to find some way of keeping this information away from the new Republican majority in the House. Look, I think Joe Biden was desperate to keep the control of Congress in Democrats' hands for very, for many reasons, uh, his agenda for one, but secondly, and perhaps even first, would be his personal, uh, his personal issues. The Hunter Biden case is not about Hunter Biden. It's ultimately about Joe Biden. Now, Merrick Garland will probably do anything to to protect Joe Biden. So settling the Hunter Biden case without investigating Joe's relationship to those business schemes, I think would be one way for Garland to protect the president. But I think it's almost too late for that now. We know too much about Joe Biden's involvement. And these whistleblowers who are Going to the Republican uh, congressman and telling about some of these things. Uh, presumably, some of them will go public. We will see how the FBI uh, ignored the evidence in order to protect uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Look, I don't think anybody cares about Hunter Biden. I think it's really just now about Joe Biden. And everything that the Republicans will do will be aimed at Joe Biden and and a corrupt FBI that has been covering up for Joe Biden. So I think that's why... Uh, This is a a singular moment when the Republicans take the House, Comer, at the Oversight Committee, Jim Jordan at Judiciary, uh, they have both pledged to follow this evidence that leads to Joe Biden. I think I think we're in for some real shocks down the road uh, because I think we only know sort of the outlines. I mean, for example, emails showing that Joe and that money was moved between Joe Biden's accounts and Hunter Biden accounts. Of course, we know the Tony Bobolinsky story of the big guy slated to get. 10 percent of, of a deal with a Chinese conglomerate. And, Brian, I, uh, Brian, I, I don't think a lot of people understand that that 10 percent was for work done while Joe was vice president. This was in 2015 and 2016. This, this work that Hunter was claiming the Bidens were owed tens of millions of dollars was work that was done by the Bidens while joe was vice president so and joe was going to get 10 percent of the money so the washington may have already gotten 10 percent of that money don't forget a lot of that payoff came in 17 18 and 19 joe biden may have gotten a big share of that uh at least 11 million dollars that was paid to the biden family so maybe so we'll see it. Well, maybe we should, we should get... check
3: his taxes uh, we will try to see that sooner or later instead of just Donald Trump's taxes two years after he was actually in office. In 20- well, don't forget
6: so- what Joe Biden did with his taxes, Brian. He... he- Created these two S corporations, and the S corporations pay him a salary. We don't know where the S corporations got their money. Millions and millions of dollars went into the S corporations, allowed it him to avoid, allowed him to avoid paying some five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but sooner dollars or later, the S corporations. But
3: the thing is, the S corporations have to reveal where they got their money.
6: Well, it's not clear that they do, and it certainly isn't. We have not seen that publicly. Let me put it that way. They may have revealed it to the IRS, but it has not been revealed publicly.
3: So they try to dispute all this big guy stuff, this reference to big guy being, getting 10 percent. So here's the question the, the uh, Washington Post fact checker brings up. The, 19, so the, 2017, the 2017 email described possible ownership stakes for five partners, including Hunter Biden, his uncle Jim, and a planned venture with CEFC, the Chinese company. An entity was called Onida, uh, Onida Holdings. James Gillard, a business associate, summarized the allocation of equity in the Oneida holdings in the email, wrote how four partners would get 20 percent except for Jim Biden, who would get 10. He had another question, 10 held by H, meaning Hunter, for the big guy. One of the recipients is Anthony Bobulinski, said the big guy is Joe Biden. But Gillard told The Wall Street Journal, I'd like to clear that up. Any speculation that the former vice president was involved in discussions? I'm unaware of any involvement of any time of the former vice president. I'm unaware of it. So that disputes it. So we're supposed to not believe the intelligence officer. And they bring up that Tony Bobolinsky was a guest of President Trump at the debate. One thing has nothing to do with the other. He's working for the Biden family. An intelligence officer was stabbed in the back by the group and decides to come forward when he realizes this is working against America's interests. So even the, there was bias, even in The Washington Post, fact checking.
6: Well, Gilear is an interesting character. He's supposedly a former British agent. Uh, maybe he knew Christopher Steele. Uh, and the uh, there's another email in which Gilear says to Bob Alinsky, don't mention Joe's involvement in them except in person because you know how touchy they are about his role. So Gilear's Talking out of both sides of his mouth because that email shows that Joe was involved, that Gilliar knew it, and was cautioning Bob Alinsky not to talk about it because it might spook the Bidens.
3: Unbelievable uh, where we're heading with this. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, evidently, an indictment's coming down on Hunter soon, and there's a sense that Comer doesn't want that to happen. He goes, I need to go, I need to be investigating this. I don't need to be told uh, somebody else is investigating it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, If they're able to get some oversight and oversight into the money that's going to Ukraine, I'm all in support. I see our American interest in that war. But I want to make sure if they're they're getting 20 billion, I want them to get all 20. I don't want them to get eight. So, right. Well, we
6: don't know where a lot of that money has gone. And that's a big, big mistake because. This is the sort of stuff, Brian, that calls into question the credibility of our government and why, why they continue to treat the American public as fools is, is beyond me. They just think they can get away with it all the time. Don't they read the tea leaves? Don't they read what's happening in this country? The lack of trust in government institutions is now sky high. It's well above a majority except for the military.
3: We'll uh, stay on top of all of it. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, M. Goodwin underscore NY Post. Thanks, Michael.
6: My pleasure, Brian. Thank you.
3: All right. we'll kind of come back with your phone calls, one 408 7669 And then we're going to welcome in Ambassador Gordon Sunland. get his take. He was ambassador to the European Union under Trump. Fascinating book he wrote about the whole experience. His take on what's happening now and more when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: They've clearly politicized that I'm not political at all, period. I've never been, and anybody who knows anything about me knows that that's the case. But it is very clear when people are running their campaigns Mm -hmm. with an anti-Fauci element to it. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, this is a public health issue. I'd be more than happy to explain publicly or otherwise Mm -hmm. everything that we've done. And I could defend and explain everything that we've done from a public health standpoint.
3: Okay, a couple of things. There's no way he's not political ever. And he gets political in a cut I played 15 minutes ago when he said that Trump ruined it with China because he accused them of, I don't know, spreading the virus, which they did, not being honest about it, which they weren't and still aren't. Not even going over the origins of it, which he tends to believe. He cuts these guys slack. Millions of people die because of China. And he say, well, Trump's anti-China bias and attacking them really stopped them from being transparent. That's how political this guy is. But he didn't play politics. Everything Joe Biden said makes sense. Black Lives Matter, right in the streets, wrecking cities. That doesn't spread the virus, but people rally and go into sporting events, 14-year-olds playing soccer without a mask, that spreads the virus. Going outside with a a mask spreads the virus. Uh, Going outside, not wearing a mask when we started with was something that he was all for. He says it was not going to be a problem here. This guy is all over the map, and the fact he gets these easy interviews from Face the Nation and Meet the Press makes me think that he thinks he's getting away with it. Nobody thinks you're getting away with it. The average person, now he's talking about ancillary effects of not being in school. All he talked about was the virus. We had to bring up the psychological and emotional battles that are involved when people have to pretend that they're learning at home on Zoom. And him over the weekend was especially galling. Cannot wait for the transcripts of his deposition to come out, which happened over last week. And number two is to see him in front of Congress It's not just Rand Paul that has tough questions for you anymore. You don't have the answers, and you're not going to get away with it.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's my privilege to bring in uh, our next guest, Ambassador Gordon Sondland, former U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, author of a great book called The Envoy, Mastering the Art of Diplomacy with Trump and the World. Ambassador, welcome back.
0: Thanks, Brian. Really enjoyed
3: it. Well, first off, uh, there's so much going on right now since you left. the war in Ukraine. The common thought is if we don't leave Afghanistan the way we did, looking so weak, there is no invasion of Ukraine. Are you a subscriber to that belief?
0: I'm 100% a subscriber. Putin is a data collector, and I think he uses the little hairs on the back of his neck to figure out when he can do what he wants to do. I don't think there's any question that he was always intending to invade Ukraine. The only question was, when can he get away with it? And the signals that we sent, beginning with Afghanistan and ending with the uh, a flippant comment of President Biden that you know maybe a little incursion would be okay or something to that effect, uh, that's all he needed to hear.
3: And that's exactly what he did. What do you think surprised him since then?
0: Well, I think he was surprised that, uh, as I said to you the other day, uh, um, you know, President Zelensky has a lot of balls and was not going to jump on a plane and leave the country and go live you know, live on his Swiss bank account, uh, which he probably doesn't have. Uh, like Gahani he did. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was going to stay and fight. He was going to take care of his people. He was going to lead his military. Uh, he was going to set an example for all leaders. He was going to rally the, the Western world, all of which he has done and continues to do. I think our response actually now needs to be exponentially accelerated.
3: Right. And the risk is, well, we don't want a world war. But I think that's gone out the window. We just have to let these guys not be They're being there were infrastructures being shelled. Civilians are being targeted. Don't you think that changes what we should be willing to do?
0: I think if every calculus ends with, well, this could start a nuclear war, then we might as well hand the keys of Western democracies to the nuclear-equipped autocracies. I think that's just complete rubbish because they know that it's a complete existential threat to them to even pop off a tactical nuclear weapon, much less a strategic one. So I think we need to keep our head down. I don't think we want to be antagonistic simply for the sake of being antagonistic, but I do think we need to punch much harder. There's a lot of technology we have still not given the Ukrainians and some of the technology that we've given them, we've limited its use. And we need to, uh, Putin needs a strong punch in the nose right now before this drags through the winter and puts a lot of civilians at an incredible uh, risk
3: the attackums, number one, that would go a greater distance and back the Russians up. Number two, how much harder was your job as ambassador to the EU because of the belligerence uh, of Vladimir Putin?
0: Well, his belligerence, you know, I have to say, and I've been critical of President Trump and complimentary when the situation warrants. In the the case of President Putin, President Trump had sort of a contrarian approach to, to President Putin. Instead of criticizing him in public and letting Putin roll his eyes like he would with anyone else criticizing him, President Trump sort of put him off balance and praised him lavishly in public. But in private, he beat the crap out of him. And as a result, Putin knew that Trump was just crazy enough to fight back. And as a result, uh, things were peaceful for quite some time, as you recall.
3: What do you mean, beat the crap out of him? What was it like behind closed doors?
0: Behind closed doors was very, very sober and very, very uh, tough and factual, just as President Trump did with the Taliban when he told the Taliban during our withdrawal. He said, listen, we reserve the right to change our schedule. We reserve the right to keep assets there, including probably Bagram and other assets. But he told the Taliban, listen, if you harm one hair on any U.S. person's head. We're going to hit you like you've never been hit before. And the Taliban responded, we understand. They, and Trump said, no, 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 you don't understand. You have never been hit like we're going to hit you. And whether the Taliban believed him or not, the, the proof of the pudding is things were very, very quiet during our control of the withdrawal. Same with Putin. Those are the same types of of words that President Trump has used with President Putin in private.
3: Very interesting. And he would have would have helped him to say that um, because people thought he was being so weak because he had something on him because he came out after the meeting and praised him and said, you know, I don't really know if the medal win our elections. I can figure it out. You know, he says he hasn't. I, I believe him. And then he got eviscerated for that.
0: Well, President Trump's largest forced error that I could point to on a lot of things is his lack of being. Um, clear in explaining to the American people what he's doing and why. Um, and treating the American people more like, you know, his shareholders, his board of directors, whatever analogy you want to use, um, I don't know if he thought we could divine what he was doing, but what those of us who saw on the inside what was going on, in many cases, were very impressed with the thoughtfulness and the strategy. Not that everything he did, including the January 6th situation, which I'm very, very upset about. But prior to that, there were a lot of great things, but he never really explained it well.
3: You know what's interesting is you go over Nordstrom 1 and Nordstrom 2, and you guys go back and forth on this. And it's almost as if it was ripped from the pages of today's news. And you guys were forecasting, why are you doing Nordstrom too? Why are you getting in bed with Russia? Why are you'd be becoming more dependent on Russia? You can't trust them. And you guys were telling them you were telling Europe this.
0: Well, Brian, I wish I could say I and the others were geniuses, but it was very obvious. I mean, but no one else was know- saying this. Well, <laughs> thank you. We were saying that we were laughed out of the rooms. Most of the European leaders, particularly the Germans, thought we were crazy. And the media, of course, followed right along. I gave several speeches uh, throughout Europe where I, I said almost exactly that Putin would do what Putin is doing today, which is using energy as political leverage when he, something happens in Europe that he doesn't like, in this case, Europe rallying to our side to defend Ukraine.
3: So, Ambassador, you having that business background, you you approach this like business, but you wanted this job and it took a while to get this job. We have to reform the confirmation process that includes for Democratic and Republicans. It takes too long to get it. Uh, Successful people like you have to sacrifice too much to receive it. And it's supposed to be service. I mean, it's supposed to be service. And to do this, you're basically tortured. You're left on the sideline. You give up your business. You wait on the behest of people on the other party. Now it's Democrat. Now it's Republicans. And it was for you as Democrats. When you finally get it, then you how many years do you have to get it done? And then we know what happened with the whole Ukraine and the impeachment. Uh, UK, you were very honest about it. You got along with Trump. You basically understood him. You, you could understand where he was coming from. And you believe to a degree that you guys rewrote how you do diplomacy and to be more effective.
0: Well, in the envoy, I point out, and I feel badly, there are a lot of highly qualified folks on the Biden side that are still waiting in the wings to be confirmed, and we're what halfway through the term now. It's amazing. Uh, on the Trump side, there were several who just threw in the towel and said, "Look, I don't need this abuse. I want to serve. I don't need the job. I don't need the salary. I want to serve my country. I think I'm in a great position to do it." But the the amount of of political nonsense, they were put through. Listen, I'm all for a strong vetting process. The vetting process absolutely eliminated some folks who had no business serving, and it it, it worked exactly as intended. But there were a lot of people who were just put through nonsense uh, that that we lost out on. We, the American people, lost out on their service. It was um, it would almost be like, uh, just to use a silly example, uh, you know. Someone saying I would like Warren Buffett has volunteered to to manage our pension fund uh, and putting him through a crazy amount of vetting as if Warren Buffett is not qualified to manage someone's pension fund, uh, given his track record and his notoriety. That's that's as close an analogy I can think of. It's like if he's willing to sign up, we're willing to have him.
3: Yeah, no kidding. And I've said this the longest time. The fact is there's no reason to wait there's no reason to drag this stuff out, uh, and it hurts the country to have all these positions open. And then, as soon as they get filled, people, they're gone again.
0: Or give people a quick no, and yeah. then move on to the next candidate. So, uh,
3: just talk about European Union. Now, you've added two more to uh, NATO: uh, Finland and Norway. What does that do?
0: Well, they were always sort of <laughs> NATO in laws, if you will, uh, with formal membership it dramatically, exponentially strengthens NATO because these, these are not hangers on, these are leaders in terms of their capabilities, in terms of their uh, their training, uh, the intelligent uh, men and women that make up their armed forces. I mean, we're getting uh, the creme de la creme with, with these two new uh, associations. So NATO is going to be better off and, it, you know, Putin should congratulate himself yes. for doing the impossible here.
3: Yeah, he's, he now looks weaker. We, we, found, we found out that he can't fight. His people don't want to serve. And the technology that he has can't be implemented because no one's been trained on it. And now he's begging people to serve. And they say he's going to be drafting women in shortly. And about 200,000 have left their country rather than being drafted into this horrible army where they're just put, like, being put into a shredder. So in terms of. Uh, diplomacy and the way you guys handle it, you, they tried to keep you from the president. They wanted you involved in the State Department. They wanted to make sure you weren't interacting with him directly. You managed to get interacting with the president directly. But not so much you and Trump is not the bigger story. The bigger story is how do we become more effective in dealing with countries and cut out a lot of the protocols and the dinners that produce and all the, the, the wine events that produce nothing?
0: Well, you hit the nail on the head, Brian. What we have to do is we have to have great ambassadors who have access to probably one of only five or six people in the, whatever administration is in power. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican. It needs to be the president, the vice president, the uh, national security advisor, the chief of staff of the White House, someone at that level who can identify in each country or in each uh, organization, in the case of the EU, the two or three or four most important things that either we want from that country or that that country wants from us, where we can ask for something in return. Yes, I am talking about a quid pro quo, but only in the best possible way for the United States and once each ambassador is given their marching orders they should be doing nothing 24 7 but fixated on those key things and dealing with someone at a decision-making level they should also spend a reasonable amount of time at the white house in washington face to face with the decision makers even if it means a few red-eye flights to go there and back and by the way most of the ambassadors pay for their own flights because the State Department flights are, are crazy and terrible. And you'd rather shell out the money out of your own pocket than be routed 15 different directions in coach.
3: Interesting. <laughs> uh, I want you to hear uh, uh, talk about the, this situation right now. All we heard about is how the, 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 the our relationship with our allies is so tense and fractured under the Trump regime because you don't understand the protocols. Listen to NBC's report. This guy cured Simmons about what's going on right now with the U.S. alliances. Cut seven.
12: The signs of tension and divisions within the alliances on our side, if you like, in Europe, there is deep disquiet about the Inflation Reduction Act here, about it's seen as a populist move, it's seen as something, it's seen as protectionism. And the Europeans, and I was talking to uh, some lawmakers in Europe over the weekend, kind of scratching their heads saying, what do we do about this? Uh, we, We can't shift... We can't shift this because of the politics within Washington, and yet this is going to damage our, our economy at a time when we thought we had a solid alliance uh, with uh, the US. So this is, this is a marathon that we're in. Right now, um, I think that's one of the things that President Putin is banking on, for example. Certainly, she will be uh, expecting this to be a long play, if you like. And uh, we are running that marathon, too. And in many ways, the question is who gets to the finish line? Sir?
3: And they're talking about the natural gas that they're now short of and uh, oil and gas that we're imp- capable of producing. But instead, all this money's towards green energy, creating tensions in Europe. You want to expand on that, Ambassador Sunland?
0: Well, you have to give it to the Europeans, at least their equal opportunity. It doesn't sound like they like Biden any more than they like Trump. Um, So the the reality is, look, everything with the Europeans, and I love the Europeans. I love Europe. I'm a citizen of the United States. I also happen to be a citizen of Germany. Uh, But listen, everything's transactional, and we should just cut through the B.S. And agree that everything is transactional. In this case, that journalist happens to be right. The Inflation Reduction Act has not only have had profound negative consequences in the United States, but it's, it's bubbled over the Atlantic and it's killing Europe as well. It's too much money in a system that needs productivity, doesn't need worthless cash flooding it. And we have created this problem, and now the only answer is austerity for a little while, not more money in the system.
3: So you also, in the big picture, before I have to let you go, Ambassador, you talk about China and the need to decouple big business from China. Most of your friends are very successful business people. You're a self-made success story yourself. And you quote The Economist noted lost revenues in China, the expense of moving factories out of the country in compliance with the Chinese and American technologies have divergent and could cost global technology firms three point five trillion over the next five years. The moves will not be painless, but they are more than necessary and they need to be made now. So China is the problem. We have to alert big business that they're Americans first.
0: We have to do an inventory of every single thing that we get from China and make sure that at some point in the next decade, we have the capability of producing it here or one of our closest allies that we can count on 100% through thick and thin has the capability of producing it on their shores so that we have the capability of completely decoupling, not right. to say that we need to decouple, depending on China's future behavior gotcha. and when the Xi uh, administration is over, what his successor winds up doing, but we need to at any time be able to flip the switch and say, you're out, we're getting our stuff elsewhere. Pick that up, is critical.
3: Uh, pick up Ambassador Sunlin's book. It's really uh, something we need to know about, The Envoy. Ambassador, always love talking to you. Thank you.
0: Really enjoyed it, Brian. Thanks so much.
3: Back in a moment.
2: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Can I just say, I've never seen anybody celebrate more when their team
10: has failed to win a match and <laughs> scored zero goals. I mean, time for a bit of perspective. England are almost certainly through to the next round unless we lose 4-0 to Wales, which we won't. Great. You lot have now got a massive game against Iran who hammered Wales and looked to me like a very dangerous opponent. You may not be feeling quite so cocky soon, Mr Kilmead.
3: Well, see, I just hope they beat Iran and we meet uh, England in the finals. That's Pierce Morgan and a fun bet that we had together that the U.S. would tie a win against England, which is no small feat. I know in America we want to win everything all the time, but in soccer, we're about 50 years behind. We're catching up quick. My fingers are crossed, I hope. Jonathan, you'll listen to Daytona Beach. Hey, Jonathan.
15: Hey, Brian. Listen, we all want the same thing. We want Biden to have to pay for his illegal activities. But
0: from a strategy standpoint, as Republicans, somebody needs to get a hold of the leadership and and talk some sense into him, because if we hammer Biden now instead of after the next election and we hammer him to the point where he's unelectable or he can't even run, then we're going to be facing an opponent most likely that would get 100% of the female black vote, 97%
2: of the male black vote. Are you talking about Michelle Obama? Yeah, Michelle Obama. Yeah,
3: one thing about her, she continues to say, not me, never.
2: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. Well, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmead Show. So glad you're here. David Bonson's going to be here in a matter of moments. Founder, and managing partner, and chief investment officer of the Bonson Group, and Brett Bear at the bottom of the hour. Brett Bear is full time here. He is Mr. News. So before we get to them, just let me remind you, Friday night, December 2nd, see you at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, Uh the chance to get a few tickets that are indeed left, a great All-American night that's going to be fun, and we're going to have special appearances from Fox All-Stars on a live stage show and nothing's really scripted. Then on, on, in Jacksonville, I'll be there December 3rd, which is my anniversary, which is going over really well, at Tom Bush um, BMW. And I got a great uh, event at night. Just go to com find out more. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three.
4: Number three. We're going to allow, uh, you know, Chevron to do drilling in Venezuela. When we're, <laughs> this is the same administration, Will, that won't allow us to do drilling here in the United States, not in Texas, not in Oklahoma. It makes absolutely no sense.
3: Uh, Stephen Moore knows a thing or two about economics. Uh, Unacceptable. The U.S. breaks sanctions and allows Chevron to start producing oil for that evil regime of Nicolas Maduro and communist Venezuela while stopping pipelines drilling and exploring in America.
1: Number two. U.S. soccer telling us today it changed Iran's flag on its social media accounts to show, quote, support for the women in Iran. Iran state media reporting on Sunday that the United States should be kicked out of the tournament.
3: Yeah, that'll happen. Bigger than the game. Love that the U.S. Soccer Federation took a stand with the Iranian flag in support of women's rights as Iran players sent a message themselves to their monstrous government and, Amer- and Americans, most most of all, must put all of that aside and win on Tuesday to advance in the World Cup.
1: Number one. I was at the protest in Beijing last night. It went until 2.30 in the morning. People were holding up the pieces of paper as a protest against censorship. They were singing the national anthem.
3: Uh, there you go. Pretty cool. I'm talking about... Uh, they are talking about China trouble, and this time they can't blame it on Taiwan. It's the crackdown of a lockdown of the virus they thrust upon the world. Finally, the people have had enough. When you get locked in your house and you burn alive, that pretty much puts you over the top. Uh, With me right now is David Bonson. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, David. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Hey, first off, they eliminated in China all semblance of a free market, slowly but surely. The whole Alibabas of the world, as soon as they get successful, they're beginning to nationalize them. What's that doing to their country and their economy?
14: Well, ultimately, it would be fatal. I mean, what the Chinese have gone through over the last 30 years is this experiment in trying to have better economic freedom without political and civic freedom. As Milton Friedman taught us here in the United States, uh, you have to have both. It is a necessary but not sufficient condition of a free society. You have economic freedom. What makes it sufficient is when you have the whole triangle of civic, uh, political, and economic freedom, and they're learning it the hard way right now in China. So
3: the supply chain, the part of the reason why they can't stand their economy back up solely, even though they're growing better than most countries, projected to be at 4% this year instead of 8 uh, prior to COVID, is they keep on having the zero COVID policy. It's resulting in massive uprisings like we haven't seen before, which we know most of these people uh, could get jailed or killed for doing it. Here's Mike Gallagher. Cut one.
5: I don't think the control of the Chinese Communist Party is starting to crack. Xi purged any dissenters at the 20th Party Congress, but they will continue to crack down on their citizens. And who knows where that leads? I mean, think where we are. Three years after a virus that likely leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China, They're still welding Chinese people into their apartments. We've had apartment buildings burned down with people locked inside. We have toddlers being taken from their parents and put into quarantine camps. They're using the pretense of public health in order to institute a system of total techno-totalitarian control. And that's not just for domestic use. That's a model of repression they want to export around the world. So... Here we go. Uh, they were
3: mocking us a year ago with the Black Lives Matter protest and the statues being taken down. Maybe they were behind some of it. Who knows? But they're having their own struggles. How does that affect trade? How does that affect us and our economy?
14: Well, the one thing I first want to point out is that uh, our country needs to be reminded uh, what we were doing the, the absolute horrors of what we did in, in shutting down churches, in forcing kids to be out of school for two years, in masking up five-year-olds playing soccer games. And now, of course, what China's doing is worse and further down the line, but it's a difference of degree, not of kind, Brian, and that needs to be pointed out. This will affect supply chain. It will affect uh, Apple component parts, getting your iPhones. Um, this is what happens when we are in bed with a totalitarian regime, and hopefully it accelerates the process of better regionalization of manufacturing, and it it will happen. I'm very optimistic we're going to see greater supply chain processes come out of this over the years to come.
3: So we just know this, too. You have to really think twice, or do you, if you're going to bring your manufacturing base over to China. And maybe even though we got union issues and production issues in terms of price point, don't you think it's time to have a national effort to pull our uh, our economy, uh, detangle it from China?
14: Well, here's where a lot of people might get upset with me on the right these days. I do think it's time for that, but I don't think it's time for our federal government to be paying people to do it. I don't think it's time for coercion. I think that the market economy is sufficient for businesses to do the right thing I don't think to so. honor some of the I don't human rights so. concerns.
3: Dave, I, listen, you know you know more about uh, the economy than I'll ever know, David. But for the most part, when J.P. Morgan Chase and Nike and all these other companies and Apple are making more money there, what incentive is it to pull it out for the good of our country and our national security?
14: There is none. But they're not. But, they're, Brian, they're not making more money there if they can't get parts made because of shutdowns. They're not making more money there if they can't get parts exported. Uh, So the whole point is that this last several years has proven that even the um, economic argument is not as strong as people thought it was. There is low-cost labor and other benefits in other parts of the world, not just here on shore. So we don't need to go full-blown protectionist. There's a human rights argument And there is an economic reason for people to diversify their manufacturing sources.
3: Right, because we saw from pharmaceuticals to PPE, it's not in our interest to not be able to produce that.
14: That's right. And it needs to be uh, not just one solution. It, it, maybe some stuff's coming to Ohio, some stuff's coming to Arizona, and maybe some stuff is going to be Mexico and, and Vietnam. There, I, I don't want to go to a place where we say we don't do any business outside the United States. My point is that China as a one-stop solution has not worked, and it's time for businesses to think more uh, holistically.
3: So we find out over the weekend this deal with Venezuela, Chevron, wants to get their $4 billion they're still owed when they were just kicked out of the country, and they're going to pay to start rebuilding their infrastructure and start producing oil in Venezuela. You think this is a good thing?
14: Well, I think it would be a better thing if they could explain why we're not doing it in Texas and Oklahoma, as Steve Moore said earlier. I think that the reason it's a bad thing is that it shows the Biden administration, and by the way, this isn't new, okay? He went to Saudi Arabia and fist-bumped a murderous autocrat because he was trying to get them to do more production. So whether it's Russia or Saudi or any other OPEC country or now Venezuela, the point is the Biden administration has been very clear. This is not us conservatives, uh, you know, twisting things. They are saying we are okay with bad regimes producing oil, and we're not okay with Texas, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, etc. It's outrageous.
3: And for environmentalists listening, why, can you put into layman's terms how much cleaner and more responsible we are than Venezuela and the type of oil that we extract, as opposed to what they're doing?
15: It's just—it's
14: the type of oil is four times less carbon emissions that we extract, and the way in which we do it is six times less carbon emissions. Not to mention, we have capacity for great natural gas use which is dramatically cleaner. So they are picking an environmentally worse solution, and economically worse solution, and I cannot believe environmentalists are putting up with it.
3: So you're launching a six-part series on the defense of free markets. Could you tell us where we get that and what your approach is?
14: Yes, it's at the YouTube channel of National Review, six parts, including Fox's own Larry Kudlow is one of my guests. And the approach I'm taking, Brian, is that we have to have a faith Based understanding of economics. Only arguing for the efficiency of capitalism and not arguing for how it honors the human person, for how God made us with dignity to be productive and free people is insufficient. And so I want to recast the argument for a free enterprise, make the case for a free and virtuous society, the YouTube channel of National Reveal.
3: So there's virtue in work, isn't there? And has that been well, lost?
14: Yeah, the virtue in work is created by God. God himself was a worker. He made the world and then turned around and asked us to work, asked us to be creative, innovative, productive. All these things we take for granted in modern society, a division of labor, um, the the fact that we do not have to be slaves to whatever our parents did or the place in in which we're born in life. We have mobility dynamism. That came about because of how God made the world. And and to ignore that and to try to go to more centrally planned economic systems is begging for us to go backwards. We have the tools at our disposal to truly advance society.
3: All right. It should be great. Uh, David Bonson, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right. When we come back, I'll take your calls. One eight six six. 408 And then at the bottom of the air we welcome in Brett Baer. We see what the week is kind of set up like. As we see that right now, Republicans have the House, but there is still a big battle December 6th uh, for that Georgia seat in the Senate. Uh, why it is so necessary. And even though the balance will still be in the Democratic's corner, how it is so much stronger with a 50-50 Senate for Republicans. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with
9: Brian Kilmeade. This zero-COVID policy is failing, and it's not going to succeed. This rejection of the mRNA vaccine, this is Xi Jinping's policy. And you have a society that's increasingly fed up. There's there's no way out. You know, the word dilemma was, is overused. Xi Jinping has a real dilemma. He continues with this policy. He doubles down. And then what he has to do is increasingly repress this, the, the people. But if he does this also, you're not only going to have protests, the economy's going to tank. But if he lets go, and he, he has to then admit he was wrong. And that's a precedent he's unwilling to, to set, because if he's wrong here, where else might he be wrong? And people might say, gee, if we only protest some other policies, we, should get, we can get some change too. So he's actually created a, a real, real problem for himself, not just in the health sector, but more broadly, politically. By the time you've consolidated as much power in your hands as he has, by the time you get an unprecedented third term, you forfeit the ability to blame circumstances or anyone else. This is now on him.
3: Richard Haas weighing in from foreign policy and foreign relations, Uh, and that I don't really know very little about President Xi except for how brutal he is and how he got away with setting up a concentration camp with a whole group of people, including Muslims, where if you left the Quran, if we left the Quran at the wrong place or let it touch the ground, that was an international incident, they could sit there, shave their heads and make them give up their religion, these Uyghurs, and it doesn't seem to matter, so if he gets away with that— he feels as though he could probably kill everybody that wants to protest his zero COVID tolerance policy. That is, uh, Richard Haas says, "Don't think so." We'll see. Vic, listening in New York. Hey, Vic. All right. Well, we lost him. All right. We'll get the phones together in just a moment. So that's uh, that. Uh, that COVID policy is insane. It's even insane to Dr. Fauci. Listen to what he said over the weekend. Uh, about uh, the COVID policy that he's, that he's witnessing over there and the tolerance he has for the lack of transparency when it comes to China. I don't understand it. Cut 25.
13: Have you seen anything that Beijing has produced at all in terms of explanation or data?
3: Well, their
8: explanation is an explanation that they will not allow us to look at the primary information. Mm-hmm. The WHO went in and and saw some of the data, which some of which was actually quite helpful. But we, you know what we need, Margaret? We need a, 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 a transparency and a collaboration to open things up so that we could discuss it in a non-accusatory exactly. way.
3: Does he understand—I mean, maybe his scientists are compliant in understanding— Or is he just pretending, pretending as if this Chinese government is a government that we can deal with and work with? We can't do it. We have not been unable to do it. And yet he has unending patience. At the same time, he has no patience for the American people who don't want to take 25 boosters. I mean, he's on his fifth booster. He wants to take a different, as these Omicron and these variants change, he wants us getting a booster really every three months. And he's got one. He's on five, and he's still got it, by the way. So in in terms of how this distrust took root, he knows who exactly who to blame. Trump, 26.
8: What happens is that if you look at the anti-China approach that clearly the Trump administration had right from the very beginning, and the accusatory nature, the Chinese are going to flinch back and say, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to (laughs) talk to you about it, which is not correct.
3: Yeah, that was the approach. We're not going to talk to you about it because— We accuse them. So they poison the world. Fauci thinks it's our problem because we don't have, we'd had the wrong tone with China. Do you remember how it happened? Remember, Wuhan gets infected. It seems to be panic. We see some of this horrible video. As we've seen this horrible video of people being arrested in the streets and being brought out in stretchers in the prime of their lives, seemingly not old, feeble men and women. We realize there's something going on here. They were lying to Beijing, it seems. I'm going to say it seems. It, and when Beijing finds out, they send in the military and they scrub the whole lab. Please tell me where Trump is to blame here. We still don't know where it started, but he says um, almost everybody agrees that this came from a natural occurrence. Cut 23.
8: I have a completely open mind about that, despite people saying that yeah. I don't. I have a totally open mind about that. But if you look at the preponderance of evidence that has been accumulated, the evidence strongly points to this being a natural occurrence of a jumping of a virus from a bat to an animal species to human.
3: So I don't know many people who are signing up for that, but he still does. No way could have leaked from the lab, even though we can't replicate what happened from a natural occurrence. This is what we're dealing with. China's not being transparent, they're not being transparent, Fauci's not being transparent, and he won't go away. And believe me, as I'm coming up here, I'm seeing these stories that Steve Harrigan's doing that they want to start using masks again. If you want a national backlash, you go mandate masks. You've never seen backlash like it was going to happen. I mean, people are just leaving the state. They're going to totally ignore it. Then you're going to ask cops and inspectors to reinforce it? Forget it. While you have crime rage out of control, now you're gonna go get people to go enforce a mask mandate. Not gonna happen. Or you're gonna start killing restaurants and malls and shoppers on the Christmas season, saying wear mask. You can't come in to Macy's or wherever. The few people who are shopping in brick and mortar stores can't go to Best Buy. Sorry, you have to wear a mask. Turn around. Really, you could do the shopping, the the, the, the smashing grabs. But we'll have those Cuomo-like inspectors raiding restaurants. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. We come back. Brett Baer expands on all this. Don't move.
2: that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right,
3: we're back, and Brett Bear with us now. He's the same Brett Bear as the uh, Anchor Executive Veteran Special uh, Report. Brett, welcome. Hey, Brian. Were you able to unplug during Thanksgiving at all and kind of kick back a little?
15: Yes, got a little time off, uh, which was great. Be with the kids, and um, yeah, had some good weather. It was fantastic. You
3: Were you totally off, though, or were you uh, answering text messages, going on FaceTime?
15: I put the phone down. Good. I did, did not answer the phone. So, uh, yeah, I was totally off.
3: All right, cool. Um, I did kind of, uh, just running around as well. But um but uh Brett in particular as we get back to action here, I think people are underestimating the impact of the Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock race. Well, it's already been decided, it's not that big of a deal. If you talk to people uh, in in Congress, they know the way the breakup of the committees, the struggle it is to get the vice president, uh the the uh t- handling uh the floor, you you go from co committee to being totally the minority. It's 11-9 instead of 10-10, right?
15: That's right. It's a big, big deal on the power sharing agreement if it's 50-50. Also, none of those committees then have subpoena power in investigations without sign-off from the minority, which essentially means that they don't Get sign off on some of these witnesses that they would want to investigate. So that's a huge deal when it comes to some of these investigations that may go forward on the Senate side. Um, and then you obviously have the possibility of plucking off a senator who maybe becomes an independent. Kirsten Sinema could very well be courted to become an independent and not caucus with the Democrats, thereby changing the majority. Um, It's very possible. I don't think Manchin is there, but he could. Um, And then you have to get the number of votes. Uh, It's a lot tougher at the 50-50 mark.
3: Uh, So the other big thing that's happening over the weekend is you see a couple of things. The the administration's foreign policy does not say a word about China and the crackdown on protests that could be happening, is happening. You don't see anything at all ever about the Iranian protesters that have hit an unprecedented high level. But you do see a a reproachment with Venezuela, the communist regime, spreading their horrible doctrine throughout Central and South America. How do you explain the traditionalists doing things that are so seemingly against America's tradition since World War II?
15: Yeah, it's tough to explain. Um, Other than oil, uh, I think that... You know, the Biden administration is making a a decision on reproachment with uh, Venezuela based on turning on the spigots. And, you know, I think that conservative criticism is that there hasn't been enough focus on domestic energy production uh, before going down that road and, you know, changing uh, the foreign policy stance to a to a dictatorship in Venezuela.
3: So I want you to hear what the chief UN Human Rights, chief of the UN Human Rights Council said about what's happening on in Iran in particular because it's bled into the sports world and World Cup play. Cut eight.
5: The security forces, notably the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and Basij forces, have used live ammunition, birdshot, and other metal pellets, tear gas, and batons. According to reliable sources, a conservative estimate. Of the death toll so far stands at over 300, including at least 40 children. This is unacceptable.
3: So, not a word. Now, I know we're we're desperate to try to get them into a bad Iranian deal, a nuclear deal. But I just can't see a scenario. Even Barack Obama came out and said, one regret I have is not speaking out for the protesters because I thought I would make things worse. He said that, if I could paraphrase him in a recent interview. Why wouldn't Joe Biden pick up on that?
15: Yeah, I don't know other than uh, it factors into some negotiation that's ongoing. They still have aspirations to resuscitate this Iran nuclear deal, even though other world powers in Europe and elsewhere think it's uh, a lost cause. And, you know, you have real uh, hardship happening on the streets of Tehran uh, that is uh, a crackdown. You know, I think you're starting to see major things bubble up. We're seeing those protests that have been going on for some time in Iran. You're starting to see protests in China uh, over the COVID lockdown there. That's really rare in those big cities. Uh, And one would think we would be encouraging some of that.
3: I know. uh, In fact... I want you to hear what Mike Gallagher said about what he's seeing now in these protests, because we've never seen it that I can remember, seeing at these levels since 1989, especially with this this regime has been slowly, slowly but surely tightening its grip in every facet of Chinese life. Cut to.
5: It represses the citizens because it knows that they are an illegitimate entity. They don't have legitimacy from the population. They fear their own citizens. And so we need to, as the CCP cracks down and doubles down on oppression, we need to double down on freedom. That's how we win over the long term, right? We have too many people bashing America and America. We have too many useful idiots in the American media. We need to embrace American values as a self-evident contrast to the Orwellian oppression of the CCP. That's how we win the ideological fight over the long term, by remembering that we're the good guys. Uh, I mean, it would be nice We used to do that to the
3: point where people used to push back and say, guys, maybe it's in our best interest to keep our mouth shut. But now we don't say anything about anything while the Taliban take over Afghanistan. And now the president of the United States went out of his way to inoculate the the crown prince of Saudi Arabia from any type of lawsuit from citizens from 9-11. It's bizarre that he's getting a pass on this. And the Venezuela oil thing is just maddening, Brett.
15: Yeah, I think that, you know, you look at foreign policy, and, and there is um, – it's definitely not robust. It's a lot of stepping back, it seems, and they're re-engaging with Venezuela at a time when, you know, they haven't done anything in a human rights or uh, in, the, in the country the – running of the country way uh, to change how our policy would be to them. I will say one thing about the Saudi Arabia situation, and that is that – It was portrayed as granting MBS immunity, but he's technically the prime minister of Saudi Arabia. So by international law, any world leader at that level automatically gets immunity. Uh, so it wasn't it, – it was a little more nuanced. They weren't granting it. It was just acknowledging it, and they had to file some paperwork with the court. But um, the, besides that, I agree with everything you're saying about the, the different aspects of foreign policy.
3: So why do you think he released this uh, this Venezuelan issue with Chevron uh, the day after Thanksgiving?
15: I don't know. Maybe there were people – were paying attention. I, I I don't know. I mean, it doesn't get a lot of coverage. And besides us talking about it, I haven't seen it in a lot of places.
3: So, Brett, have you picked your lead story tonight?
15: Um, it is going to be about the president. It may be about Venezuela. Okay. Um, but uh, that is definitely going to factor in with our panel and Britt Hume, and it's going to be a good show.
3: So a lot of people don't know this, but oftentimes at... you'll text me and say, I don't know where to start, and I will (laughs) tell you, why don't you just take this, and I'll just, and you'll put it into the prompter. A lot of people don't Uh, know that.
15: The fact that you send me your rundown is very helpful. Right, and then I give
3: you, and I'll just meddle with yours, too, even on the middle of the show. Like, I don't like to tell a lot of people that, (laughs) because I can't verify it, but maybe just think about this. This was the story the day before the U.S. played the U.K., Uh, And the the name, uh, the guy I'm talking to is Pierce Morgan, cut 12. I like to bet you a £1,000 goes to a charity Mm. that the U.S. ties or wins against the U.K. Would you take that bet?
10: No, but what I will do is raise (laughs) you to $5,000, right? $5,000 says you do not get anything out of that game and England beats you.
3: I will absolutely do it. So, as you know... Zero zero tie, Brian Kilmeade's victorious, and the U.S. survives to play another day. Your, rea- yeah. your gut reaction as an athlete and as a newsman? <laughs> I,
15: I'm very proud of the U.S. I think they could have won that game, actually, because yeah. I watched it. Uh, but, wow, I mean, he should have taken 1,000 pounds.
10: <laughs> <laughs> I know. So listen to the response today. Can I just say, I've never seen anybody celebrate more when their team has failed to win a match and <laughs> scored zero goals. I mean, time for a bit of perspective. England are almost certainly through to the next round, unless we lose 4-0 to Wales, which we won't. Great. You lot have now got a massive game against Iran, who hammered Wales and looked to me like a very dangerous opponent. You may not be feeling quite so cocky soon, Mr Kilmead.
3: He gave 2500 to Tunnel to Towers and 2500 to Folds of Honor. But having said that, I'm sure you don't appreciate his attitude towards me.
15: <laughs> it's between him and Gutfeld. I mean, you really take it <laughs> on the chin.
3: <laughs> right. So you, are you, as a golfer and a mainstream sports guy, Brett, are you yeah. watching the World Cup at all?
15: I am. I watched that game, and um, I plan to watch U.S.-Iran. Because I think it's really cool, not only in the um, the moment for trying to move on, but uh, really cool in world politics at the same time.
3: All right. Uh, in fact, that the U.S. Soccer Federation didn't put the Islamic symbol on the flag when they posted it. The fact that the Iranians did not sing the national anthem, they could all be jailed when they get back for that. They took their leading player and put him in jail for protesting the government's oppressive handling of the protesters, where over 300 have died. This is very this is going to be fascinating and the only terror attack we heard threat we heard it was coming from Iran threatening to attack Qatar, uh, Qatar. so this is fascinating to yeah. some of the nuances and shades to this game on Tuesday
15: Yeah definitely and then you had uh, some fans that had the old Persia flag Uh, that was deemed as a political statement against Iran, so they were prevented from going in with that. I mean, there's all kinds of little little stories like that, and uh, obviously the impact of that game beyond the game is really interesting.
14: Not
3: that I haven't – we're not my welcome. The last thing I'm going to end with is just bring us inside the Kevin McCarthy quest to be speaker. To me, there's no second place. Andy Biggs, perhaps, with a handful of votes. What are they going to – what is going on behind the scenes here?
15: I think he's going to have the votes. I think uh, this is a lot, you know, of, of drama uh, for a vote that's going to materialize because he has Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise uh, on his side. So, uh, yeah, it may take a couple ballots, but I think it's going to eventually go Mac- MacArthur's way if I had to bet. Now, last time we thought that it was going that way, and it didn't, and they didn't have the votes, and that's how you got Paul Ryan as uh, Speaker of the House. So, you know anything can happen. I just think that because he's lined up the support ahead of time, uh, it's probably going to tip his way.
3: Brett Bear, I think we've learned a lot. I think we're ready to go. You took a couple of days now off, but you to have not lost your fastball.
15: <laughs> All right, my man. Have a good one.
3: Go get him, Brett Bear. Special report tonight. When we come back, we finish up with your calls and maybe a more to know. We haven't done that in a while. Do we have any ink? We have any uh, toner in the
13: printer, Allison? Yeah, but I'll create one real quick.
2: Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey,
3: welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I see your calls up there and I'll get to them. But I'm just wondering if there's even time, if there's possibly time to go back into the past and remind me of, I don't know, a day in November when we were doing more to know.
2: More to know.
3: All right, first off, it looks like the long rumored relationship, and you know I love Hollywood relationships. I can't get enough because my life and my friends don't have exciting enough relationships. I have to live through Pete Davidson and his latest squeeze, which I'm sure will end soon. Emily Radikowski. They were spotted together at a Knicks game on Sunday you think, uh do you think that, Allison that they wanted to be noticed
13: yeah yeah not at all I, but it was rumored I guess there were shots last week of them hugging I mean to go and sit at the next game together yes they did so and she's going through a divorce so I'm sure
3: right and this is the perfect time to get involved with the celebrity with tattoos uh, Davidson's 29 Rakowski's 31 uh, she is again extremely attractive and he again is doesn't doesn't shower
13: as far as I know. Do you have a second source on that?
3: Uh, he does not look like a—he does not—he he probably is a good comedian. I haven't seen him do stand-up. But I'm just amazed at the amount of attractive women that he gets but can't hold on to.
13: I think it's a thing at this point. Like, I think when an attractive woman is sort of, like, going through a bad time, it's almost like the public says, hey, you should, like, go out a few times with Pete Davidson. It'll be good press.
3: So do you think he's being
13: used? I'm sure—I mean, I don't think it's—I don't think it's to his detriment. <laughs>
3: Next, Jay Leno returned to the stage two weeks after getting burned by a car. Uh, He said, I never thought of myself as a a roast comic. Leno wrote, uh, he wrote as one of his jokes, we have two shows tonight, regular and extra crispy. Okay, I get it. I feel good. Thanks, guys. A frequent performer at the comedy spot, uh, which is called, oh, the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach. Uh, He went back. I guess he looks okay. He had to have uh, a lot of skin grafts, I understand.
13: Yeah, the pictures I've seen, like, his face is overall okay. It's more like on his neck and hands. But, I mean, you still see. It look pretty severe.
3: I mean, I think one advantage of not being a big model uh, known for your looks is that you could burn yourself and people don't get as upset.
13: You mean if this was Emily Ratajkowski, you'd be more upset because she's so beautiful?
3: Because that's how we know her. We don't look at Jay Leno and go, he's handsome. I wonder if he's funny. <laughs> Next. Fair. The mother of t- t- a New York City heiress has paid, uh, paid the programmer big bucks after her daughter emerged from college woke. We're talking about a pharmaceutical heiress named Annabelle Rockwell is claiming that her mother paid $300 a day for a program after believing her daughter had been brainwashed by attending an all-female elite liberal arts school. She was totally indoctrinated, said the mom. I feel I left school very anxious, very nervous, very depressed and sad. Rockwell said. Now she's 29. I saw everything through the lens of oppression and bias and victimhood. Where did she go? She went to a school called Mount Holyoke College, a $60,000 a year women's institution in rural Massachusetts. So don't go there, I guess.
13: Or you know, it's good to know that you can get deprogrammed after college. You know, to pay more to sort of do what college did. I will say this.
3: They have a terrible soccer team. Uh, They lost big time. So I don't know if they can handle losing. Maybe they don't care about winning and losing. They're that woke. Next. How about this? Disney inked a a $10 million deal with Bob Iger to consult. Uh, His replacement, despite an icy relationship report, Disney paid uh, Iger that $10 million to advise his replacement before he made the sensational return. Iger retired after 15 years as a top executive at Disney. Bob Chapek was a disaster. He ruined the company. He gave in to these woke employees. Iger made a shock return to the post following an extended period of loss for his company. The Financial Times this week reported that Iger was receiving regular installments of a consultant fee. So I think it'll save him in the long term. The word is he could be sold to Apple. Do you believe that? But that Disney could be sold to Apple? Do you believe Do you believe that? That's what they're saying.
13: I'm, I, it'll be interesting to see.
3: Okay, it'll be interesting to see. 42 million people watch the Giants-Cowboys game. That, to me, is pretty amazing. 42 million people watch on Thanksgiving. Were you one of them? Yes. <laughs> I had to watch uh, from, a, uh, from a restaurant. I was
13: going to say, how was your Thanksgiving reservation?
3: Uh, it was great. I went to Blackstone. it is fantastic if you're on Long Island. And I was able to put in a place where I could see the game, yet consult with my family about various things happening in their lives. More importantly, my son could see it. That, that's the key. That uh, was the key. Thanks so much for listening. com. Find out about the December 2nd show. The world can't get
0: enough of the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. 7 o'clock. Be there.